What is your freedom worth to you? Each of our guests had a light bulb moment. They longed to live rather than merely exist. They smashed through their fears and programmed minds, trusting themselves, their faith and their survival instincts. Leaving the guilt, fear, oppression and drudgery of their past. For a brighter future. They took a brave and courageous step into Freedom This is their story of how they got a life Welcome to Get a Life Podcast, Excult Conversations You matter and so does your story Welcome to this latest episode of Get a Life Podcast. We are joined by our regulars, Cheryl from Canada, Jackie and Ross and myself from the UK. And we are joined by our very special guest, Abby Thompson, who is married to my cousin. Um, Abby is going to tell us about her experiences in the Brethren and since she's left. So, Abby, I'll hand over to you. Thank you. Um, so just going to go like over an order of how I'm going to do things. So first I'm going to go over my story of life in the famous brethren. Um, I'm going to cover a bit about sexual abuse. Um, I'm going to look into what is a cult um, and a bit about mind control and then the structure of the famous brethren as it was when I left. Um, I will be reading because I'm not very good at just getting it out, um, especially when it's about emotional stuff. Um, So bear with me whilst I do that. Um, So if it's okay, I'll start with um, my story of life. Yeah, go ahead. The church or cults or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, so my mum left the Brethren back in 1994 or 1995. Um, she then met my dad um, and they had me and my brother. Um, and that was around about December 2002 from my memory. And I'd have been six. Um, when we were out of the brethren, my father had already started to have issues with alcoholism um, and mum couldn't cope and she wanted support from her family um, and so therefore they made the move to come back into the brethren and bless my dad, came along as well um, which would be super hard for someone Mm. to come from outside to go within, I mean I speak to some of my friends now and they're like this is nuts like does this really happen in this day and age and I'm like yeah it really does (laughs) um so when we were out of the brethren my paternal grandparents helped um but my link was with them was broken to seeing them around every six months which was really hard for me even as a kid like I didn't I didn't understand what was going on and um, then all of a sudden, like non-brethren people were evil, and it, it was really hard for me to get my head around. Um, I remember the first meeting 
that I went to like the stairs I just had to bury myself into my mum because I was like an alien from from day dot because in the brethren it's not common for people to come into from without um they like to be born and bred and keep it that way because the brainwashing flows nicely when you have to brainwash someone that's come from outside it's it's um it's not quite as easy um my family background is something I don't want to overly dwell on there's a lot of trauma there um but to summarize it my parents were both toxic um both together and towards me um the family is very dysfunctional um both my parents were abusive in different ways to me um, I was I was neglected and I can only put that down to me being an inconvenience to my parents because they had so much going on anyway that children just seemed to get in the way um, there was after we came into the brethren issues with my dad's alcoholism really upped and I can kind of see why um, like I'm not excusing his behaviour, I never will. Um, but you can kind of see why it got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and when these issues increased, we were shipped to my maternal grandparents. Um, and it was a toxic, horrible cycle. Like I remember coming out of school and it would have been primary school and I didn't know like what I was going to be greeted with like and I knew even as a child when I looked at my mum's face like whether we were going home or not um and also by the Ikea bags in the back of the car that was a big giveaway like if my mum had to suddenly get out like we suddenly had to go it wasn't safe um and I did sometimes see what I was being saved from and as a mum myself now I can completely see why mum took us out of that situation. You know, I remember one occasion the back door was smashed through and we walked in to meet the guy that was going to repair the glass and the whole of the lounge floor was just covered in vodka bottles, blood, takeaway wrappers, you name it, that was the carpet. And it wasn't a safe place to live. Um, I remember trying to stop my father going to the to the uh, one stop up the road um, to try and plead. I was pleading with him, please, Dad, don't. Um, and he just shoved me onto the stairs to the side. Um, so I was all too aware of the situation. And my memory is very accurate mm-hmm. um, as to what happened. Um I was then bullied at primary school by brethren children and non-brethren children. Um, The brethren children because I was an outcast and also the non-brethren children because I was an outcast to them as well. So I didn't know where my place was even in a non-brethren school. Um, And that was hard. And then when we were at my granny's, that's when um, the grooming started pretty much straight away by my maternal uncle. 
Um, I was such a vulnerable child anyway because of what was going on with my dad and mum. And he would have seen this, the perpetrator would have seen this and and he definitely took advantage of it looking back. I was sexually abused by this man for pretty much my whole childhood whenever or wherever he get he could get hold of me we even moved into his house at one point um secondary school was horrendous um I went up to the brethren secondary school um I think I was one of the first ones to go to secondary school in year seven in Bristol I forget how it was the bullying there was horrific um Teachers never took it seriously. Yes, they had policies in place, but I believe that the teachers were involved as it because we were such a different family that they just left it. We weren't your stereotypical brethren, so teachers were just as involved. And I believe in the brethren the criticism of one another is just awful Mm -hmm. and the parents talking about different families in the home then led to children being bullied at school and it's still happening now um bullying is so much worse in the brethren because it's not just at school most children have up to an hour journey on a school bus driven by a parent and bullying happens here too. I had deodorant sprayed up my nose when I was asleep. I had items thrown at me. I had my seatbelt pulled from behind so hard that I couldn't breathe and it was relentless. And I got to school and had six hours of it at school. Then I had the bus journey home, which meant I'd get home at around four o'clock. Had two hours until tea time, which pretty much I was shut in my room in that time. And then we had to get ready for church and the bullies would be at church again so I could never get away from them and that's the same now for children that are being bullied in the brethren at the moment you never get away from them it's never dealt with rightly um even at the I just quickly think thinking of the bullying if you don't mind the bullying in the school um you say the teachers because the teachers are obviously non-brethren okay yes But do you think that they a certain power was exerted over them where they they might be able to see this happening to you or indeed to other children, but felt powerless to do much about it? It could have been that. I I genuinely don't know what it was. I know that the CEOs of the school got involved. And they were brethren, presumably. Yes, they were brethren. Yeah. 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 Um, And they had meetings with the with the head teacher and the deputy head teacher right but nothing ever happened it just carried on it was absolutely relentless and people say oh come on as if no really nothing changed Mm. um so yeah I don't know the answer to your question exactly yeah Um, I'm just it was only asked curiosity because where do you go above the CEOs who are brethren. Yeah. There isn't anywhere. I mean, you can get social services involved, but I know that the CEOs would never let that happen. Like, big no-no. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Sorry, carry on, Abby. No, that's okay. <laughs> Saturday morning, you couldn't get away from them either. So at the weekend, you'd see them. Saturday morning, there'd be a church meeting. This is all pre-COVID, obviously. I was a kid. Um, and then Sunday, if you attended all the meetings, you could see your bullies up to four times a day. So they were constantly in your face. You'd never get away from them. I'm jumping on a bit. Um, so that was secondary school. Age 15, there was a big incident with my father in which I was severely injured and kicked out of the fam- family home. I would like to know that my father has since apologised for how he acted. The brethren, however, finally woke up to the fact that I was not safe. And somehow, I don't know how, but I ended up on a flight to Sydney. Now, I've asked several times to several people how that ended up happening. Now, I know a couple of people from Australia, from Sydney, who really did try their very, very best to help me. And I still have a lot of respect for them. They they were involved, but I don't know to the extent of how much Bruce House was involved. I don't know what happened. I like, and as a parent as well, if the brethren suddenly shipped my child off yeah. to Australia, yeah. I'd be going. There would be no way mm-hmm. that I'd be letting my child go on his own. No, just as a parent, it would be a big no-no. But anyway, off I went with my auntie to Australia. Age 15 to 16, I lived in Australia and lived with various members of Sydney Brethren. Looking back, it was quite clear that they were unequipped to deal with a young, traumatised person who had been severely abused. Now, they didn't know that I was severely abused, but all the red flags were there. All the big red flags were there, like, I don't know how you couldn't have put two and two together. Um, And when I told my story regarding my upbringing, not the abuse, because I didn't know it was abuse at this stage, people were just like, oh, that's really sad. Sorry that happened to you. But you're under Mr. Hales now, so don't worry. And like that was meant to be like life-changing. No, the trauma is in every cell of your body. It doesn't just vanish. Mm. Um, so I live with some nice families in, in the main. I ship from pretty much pillar to post. That was the start of living out of a suitcase. And then at the end of my stay, I lived with my auntie in a house opposite Sydney room, which was surreal looking back like I actually lived there. I attended one school, Sydney. And at first, everyone was fairly welcoming. I think it had been explained to them that I was an encouragement trip slash case. Um, And then the bullying there started. Um, Again, because I was showing signs that I wasn't a stereotypical brethren child. And they didn't know how to deal with that. They were like, hang on, this is strange and I've I've always been I've always spoken my mind some would call it outspoken but I believe that I speak my mind um and that gave them the fuel to bully me um when I spoke when this is interesting so I spoke to Bruce Hales on the phone about 
bullying because it got to the stage where I didn't want to go to school anymore. You know, I'd had this back in England. I'd come to Sydney. I was in Bruce Hales's nest egg school right under his nose and it was happening again. And so I rang him about it and he said that if I got in the clear, fully in the clear, then the bullying would stop. So I was like, yes, brilliant. Anyway, he invited me down to his business premises off I trotted down the road because the road we lived on was literally just up the road from uni space. So I went down the road um, and walked into uni space and I was like, okay, here goes. Brace yourself. Mm. <laughs> down walks, it's John Anderson that walked down the stairs and Gareth Hells was in his office upstairs. And I was like, hmm? Like, I was meant to be having a meeting with Bruce Health. What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. I was, like, a bit confused. Anyway, so I had this meeting. I confessed to, you know, non-bred music. And Gareth Hells told his story about how he used to have non-bred music and he had to keep it under wraps because his father was who his father was. Mm. And so that really comforted me. I was like, cool, if Gareth can have it, then I'm good. And they told me about having um, music with pure content and no explicit lyrics. So I was like, I'm fine with that. Cool, no problem. One rule for one, another rule for another. We're good. Mm. Um, and I told them about a UK high school boyfriend that I had and that we'd kissed. Mm-hmm. And I also, at that time, I didn't know I'd been abused, so I just said, my uncle's kissed me. And that's all I left it at. And they were like, did you do anything else? And I was like, no, no. And because, you know, I'd been groomed by the perpetrator don't dare ever tell anyone because it will be on your head it will be your fault so I was terrified I was absolutely terrified to you know lay out the full events of what happened so I walked out of that building with a spring in my step they said my sins are forgiven you know there's no scriptures read there was no praying there was no love shown really it was just like a business meeting Dirt, 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 filed, walk out. Anyway, I thought that was good. I thought that was cool. Um, it's Bruce Hales' son at the end of the day, and, you know, it must be right. Not that I've got anything against Gareth. I'm just saying how it happened. Mm. And I expected the bullying to stop, and it didn't. It only got worse, and I was so confused. I was like... So I've I've done this hard work. The results aren't there to back up what he said. Because he Um, told you that if you got in the clear, the bullying would stop. Yeah. And it didn't at all. So that was BS, wasn't it? Hmm. I couldn't go on the school bus because I was pelted with stones in the playground waiting so I walked, so my auntie started to pick me up and the CEO started on me then. Um, I, was ha- I was hauled into the office for acting provocatively. Like, what the hell does that mean? I was 
15 and it had been reported to them that I was lying provocatively on the lawns, like get a grip. Someone's got a demented mind and they're watching me go throughout my day and that's what they must think. No, it's not me, it's them. I was, I was a kid. So do you um, believe that your story never stayed like out of, out of in that scenario and them, you know, getting these stories together, do you believe that your story and what you told um, Gareth and John, do you think it stayed with them or do you think it might've been leaked a bit? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think, well, it, there wasn't anything to talk about, was there? No, I'm just wondering if like, you know, the sexual abuse or the, you know, letting him know that, you know, you had a, you kissed a boyfriend and that your uncle had kissed you if that had leaked in into the family somehow. And then they started concocting up these. I don't think so. Gareth Hales' boys were always really respectful to me. Okay, that's good. Oh, that's good to know. Hello. So I don't think it would have. No, I think they'd have kept it. Because at the end of the day, there was nothing to talk about. Yeah, this is just people that were picking on you. thought that I'd done which yeah. I don't know what they thought I'd done, but I was just 15. Yeah. I was just mm. a kid with a severe amount of trauma underlying the person that I was at that time. Yeah. Like, put two and two together, man. It's not yeah. hard. Yeah. I've spoken to a lad that was in my class in Sydney, and he said that he was called over the coals for being friends with me as well. He was pulled into the CEO's office. And said, look, she's over here for encouragement. Your friendship with her isn't going to help her. Wow. Now, it's very much a thing in the brethren that if boys and girls are friends, ultimately something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But they always read so much more into it, don't they? Yeah, which is their sick heads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just got on better with boys and girls. I think boys girls can be so bitchy. I don't mm. want to be around them. Boys are black and white. Mm. And they always have been, pretty much, unless you get an abusive one. Mm. That's just a div. Mm. But I got on so much better with boys, and I still do now. Yeah, and my husband too. knows that. He's happy with it. He knows that's how that's the friendship that I'd rather have out the two. Saying that my best friends now are girls. I was molested at one school Sydney by one of the male teachers I reported this four years later and um that was when I was back in the UK because I was too scared to over there you know it's terrifying and even the teacher said to me don't ever tell anyone so I'll lose my job and I listened um but that has very much been swept under that horrible carpet again and there's been no apology. There's been no justice. With, with that particular incident, presumably yeah. this teacher was non-brethren. Yes. Yeah. So non-brethren. in a sense, the brethren would have no reason to protect him, would him, would they? I assume it's no, him. but they're protecting the school. It's it's protecting the school, school. right? So no, reputation of the school. Yeah. Absolutely. And therefore yeah. the reputation of the brethren. Yeah. Wouldn't have that, my goodness. Yeah. Um, and I've asked many times what happened to when I reported. I've never got any response. So I've just left that for now. Um, Mm. At the end of the day, you're up against Sydney. You're up against billionaires. You're never going to win. So just leave it. 
the end of my stay in Sydney was bizarre as well. So all of a sudden I was like told we've got visa problems. Okay, cool. And that we'd be going back to the UK for two weeks and then to sort the visa issues out and then we'd fly back out. Well, I never flew back out. That was really weird. And I was like, hang on, I've been completely let down here. I've been promised something and it's never happened. Mm -hmm. So it was more broken promises. I was taken to a man in Leamington who was um, prominent. I've put a different word. I've written a different word, but I better keep it clean. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have imaginations, Abby, don't worry. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he was prominent in that locality. Um, Mm -hmm. I gave him both nervous breakdowns because, you know, I was feisty, and I still can be, I was like, hang on a minute, I've been promised that I'm going back to Sydney. Get me out of here. Like, it was a hellhole. Um, so I stayed there for nine months. And during that nine months, they, they took me to a brethren-renowned addiction therapist. Now, I'm not an addict, but they took me to her because they knew that she had been involved in my family's background now this woman must have made millions off the brethren and their addiction issues Mm. um and on the journey home they said to me what if you what what was said what's being said and they were like you're not ever going back unless you tell us what was said now it was really personal to me what was said in that counseling session I was not going to tell anyone let alone them um so I I never went back and he was really really angry with me because I didn't tell him what had been said between me and this therapist now he did pay for it but that doesn't mean that I'm going to tell him everything that was said absolutely Mm -hmm. there's a professional Mm -hmm. confidentiality you don't have to say well I don't know how much professional confidentiality there was with that particular therapist well yes she's woven with the brethren That says it all. Yeah. 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 And they're they're paying her bills. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like her fees were were not cheap, but, Mm. you know, Mm. a lot of money floating around in there. And um, I went to school when I was staying there because I had to retake my GCSEs because I was taken out of England to go to Australia in the Mm. middle of the last year of my GCSEs. So I had to drop a year and retake them. I was like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Because there again, I felt so put down. I felt mm. no one believed in me. I got really good results, but no one believed in me. I, was, I dropped a year and I felt less than because I dropped a year. Yeah. It's probably just one of my things. I've got like an infiotic inferiority complex I think but that's what that does to you yeah it does and it doesn't happen over one incident it's lots and lots of little things that probably built up the abuse the bullying and everything and now this you've got to drop a year and be with kids a year younger than yourself through no fault of your own yeah and that's hard that's tough well thank you for saying that because I've never had that 
recognition that that was a really hard yeah. thing you know I just yeah. got on with it yeah. um, but to have that recognition I appreciate so thank you one of the places I stayed was Bedford with a young couple with children and whilst I was here this is so bizarre I don't know what happened or how they pulled it off but an encouragement trip was organized to the south of France and I went to Monaco we went to Cannes we went traveled all along the south coast we went to the island of I think it's Porcaroles or something mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful island on the on the south of France when we stayed there and um, this was an encouragement trip um, many of you know or <laughs> I don't know if many of the brethren know but most non-brethren people would know that the standard greeting is for a French greeting mm. Mm. Yeah. and yeah. we were we were in a beautiful hotel on the front promenade in Cannes and um <laughs> the pianist um in the restaurant finished playing the pianos you know it's a five-star four or five-star hotel beautiful hotel and he came over to me at the bar and kissed me on each cheek now the guy that I was staying with literally you could see his face just go bright red and he exploded like a blinking rocket tried to arm me out of there I was obviously mortified because I knew that that's just like I'm I was pretty worldly wise I like I know how the world works that's mm. a standard greeting in France mm. and mm. all of a sudden I was being manhandled out of this out of this bar or restaurant or whatever it was and I literally was so mortified so I walked for miles along the promenade on my own. I rang the guy back in the UK that was supporting me at the time, like a kind of priest, but he was more of a good friend than a priest. Married with kids, I will say, before the brethren are like, oh, I wonder who that was. Because mm. that's what they think of me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I returned to the hotel on my own, slept the night, and then next morning we packed up and we were meant to be going to Barcelona the next morning. Well, that never happened. Um, we travelled back to Bedford a million miles an hour. The car was silent on the way home. Thankfully, I had an, <laughs> an MP3 player, believe it or not. Um, and I listened to yeah, music on the way home and got back home, went to bed. Woke up the next morning and I was like, this is a bit loud. Looked out the window and the driveway was full of, you know, it's like heavy brethren men cars. And I was like, shit, what is going on here? Touregs, Range Rovers, you name it, they were there. And I was like, this is big. So I packed my cases, walked down the stairs, walked out the front door. And I was like, I don't need this in my life. I'm done. I'm done with brethren. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm done. And one of the brothers chased me with his wife and, and grabbed the suitcases off me. And I was that done. I was, it had all my possessions in there from the last two, three years, if not, yeah, two, three, yeah, probably two years. And I didn't, I, I was done with it. I didn't need them. So I just dropped the suitcases and kept walking. I went into Bedford Town Centre and I rang a good brethren friend who I still get on with very well. And 
I said, I'm, I'm done, I'm leaving. So he came to meet me in a, in a cafe and he said to me, what are you going to do? And I hadn't actually thought about that bit. All I knew is that I was done. Like I, I really was done. I didn't need all this. I hadn't done anything wrong. Yes, my behaviour, you know, was probably very fiery and I was probably really difficult to live with but, as but a nobody, result. Yeah, nobody ever looked at the reasons why. You were a teenager at this time. You were what, mid-teens, seventeen? I was, I was seventeen, eighteen. Seventeen, yeah. and nobody ever said, "Why is this poor girl behaving? What's happened in her life that's making her so angry and frustrated, or, or however you were, Abby?" Because that's yeah, that was the problem, one, not you. Yeah, <laughs> not one person. Yeah. Ever that's asked. the problem that they have yeah. in there, right? That is the yeah. big issue. Like I always said that to everybody who came to me after I had left years later mm. and I'm, they'd be like, well, why didn't you say anything? I'm like, I was like 17. Mm. What 17 year old is going to sit down with someone who's sitting there so stoic and they've got everything shoved up them that there's no room for compassion. Had someone very like, you know, you think of yourself, Abby, if you had been presented by say a few priests and then a female there who were fully in their compassion and been like you know what Abby Mm. really what's wrong what's bugging you what's happened right you know every single person in the in the PBCC that have been affected the way that we've been affected we would 100% tell them what would have been going on absolutely but it's so cold and stoic and so um business-like of like how do we get rid of this fast yeah yeah and it's they don't want to look at the trauma exactly. because they no. don't want to believe that it's happened and that it's been there. Yeah. They, they, want to, they, want, they want to resolve the behavior rather than actually resolving yeah. the issue at the root of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They don't it's want like, to find the seed. Yeah. No. It's like addiction clinics in the UK. Now, I believe that addiction is a result of childhood trauma. Like, I've done a lot of research into it. And It's the same as that. Clinics in the UK, they're treating, you know, you can go in for a detox and then you can come out. Mm. No, that's treating the end result. You need to treat the years of trauma that has led up to someone wanting to numb themselves with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with this. You know, what's led you from, from your childhood to behave in certain ways now? Like I was always going for walks on my own. Mm. That worried them sick because, you know, they automatically thought, oh, who's she meeting? What's she doing? Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I never met anyone ever. You know, I might have been on the phone to people, but I never met anyone. So it was they were always presuming something was happening when it wasn't. And that's Mm. why that's why I was clamped down on so hard. And also, um, you know, instead of showing you compassion and finding out, you know what happened to you in your life they just decided to push you from pillar to post which would make you even more unsettled absolutely (laughs) every family that I went to had a different set of rules Mm. they had a different Mm. they had a different view of the brethren yeah they had different they had different ideas as to what was acceptable and unacceptable Mm -hmm. and to me it was just so confusing because children it's a total head fuck, isn't it, basically? It's 
absolutely. And there's no safety. And I think that's the thing, these whole encouragement trips that they do, like the thing that a child needs and a teenager needs from no matter what they've gone through, right? Whether it's just a small amount of trauma or a big amount of trauma, it it all comes down to that teenager, those child, they need safety and safety doesn't come from bouncing a teenager all over the place, right? There's just no safety in that. And it's happening so much in there. Yeah, I know. As soon as parents get to the stage that they can't deal with their child, off here, off there, off everywhere. Abby, on that score, can I ask you a question um, that's often intrigued me? Unofficial fostering, which is what that is essentially called legally, is quite legal. Okay, you can, if if there's family, you can send a child to live with somebody else you trust or whatever. But after one month of that, underage person living with somebody that's not their immediate family it has to be registered with social services do you think that happens in the brethren never no and that's something that's often bothered me because unofficial fostering is allowed a child might go and live with their grandparents is that why i was moved around so much well i don't even know if the brethren know that fact but legally in the uk social services have to be informed of a child's living away from their home and their family after one month mm-hmm. well, for obvious reasons mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh, yeah I'm going to check into that it's just yeah, sorry really just th- another little legal thing in there like we do yeah yeah, yeah. I've never and, heard that before. no and, and I don't know whether the brethren are aware of that fact but you I was have never left- spoken to ever by social no. services but no. in their social services were black yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is my opinion. Do you think the high ups would know about it? But basically, they hide it from the general run of the mill peeps. Or is it? Is it the old there above the law? I don't know yeah. the answer to yeah, that. I was just, I I was, I was just going to say. I think. I think it's what Jack has just said. <laughs> yeah, above yeah. The, uh, the highest highest law in the land. Doesn't yeah. Yeah. And ignorance is no excuse anyway. If they don't know, they no. should know. They're sending these children to live in homes that are not their immediate family. And we know that's when problems happen. Um, yeah, that's when abuse starts. Yep, absolutely. And, absolutely. Um, and that might be no something defense. good for those, um, you know, those still in the brethren that are listening to this is yep. check the laws where you live. And yeah. if you're not liking being bounced around or being placed somewhere for longer than a month, check your laws and see if that's something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously, when 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 we're looking at the legalities of things, um, it's hard to implement implement the illegalities of things because then you've got to be able to be willing to um, expose everything that you're going through. And ex- you have yes. that chance where you're going to actually be kicked out or you have to leave. Right. Yeah. So there is pros yeah. and cons to um, implementing certain things like that. Yeah, go ahead, oh, Abby. Sorry, Abby. It was just. A- That's OK. No, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And that's how they very successfully successfully reeled me back into their web. So Mm. I was stuck. Mm. And I got in this lad's car who was obviously in contact with this other fella that was priest friend thing. And they took me back to a hotel to stay the night. Now, this lad I'd known for quite a while. Um... I went out with his brother at one stage, like I knew him and his brother quite well. And I trusted him. I really did trust him because he'd been Mm. through the mill, he'd been through shit and he knew what it was all about and he knew what it was like. So (laughs) 
I laugh looking back now because, of course, it was never going to happen. But I asked if he could stay at the hotel, not necessarily in the same room, just somewhere in the hotel because mm. I felt safe with, with this lad. And obviously that was met with an absolute no because I said earlier, boy-girl friendships is a mm. big mm. no mm. because these perverted twits think that, oh, they're going to have sex all oh, my days. Red alert, red alert. No, they can't be in the same hotel. The bottom line oh, is just... platonic friendships can't happen. That's how, what right. they believe, isn't it? Yeah. No. And it's really sad because they're the best yeah. friendships. Yeah. They're mm. the friendships that you get the most out of mm. and, and give them most, actually. I'll come on to that point later about friends. Remind me. Then I was moved up to Stafford and they, the, the counselling with the therapist in London started and that's when I discovered what had happened to me as a child had a name and that was sexual abuse. And I was coping up until that point and as soon as I realised what it was, my whole world completely dropped around my head because wow, I just thought that I was loved. I thought that I was special. I was getting special treatment. It was our, li- our little secret. No, it was abuse. Um, and I had two weeks, that was two weeks before my 18th birthday and bless the counsellor and I'm so grateful for her doing this. But she said, look, we've got two weeks till you're 18. I'm going to let you decide what you want to do. And that was amazing for me and it's amazing for survivors to have that choice Mm. and to get to the point of yes I want this to be reported and I want this to be sorted properly through police and and get some form of justice for what I went through and so I reported the abuse to the police in Cannock um whilst I was living with a family who were actually really they were the best family I lived without them all. They were incredible to me. Then my head just went. I was mentally done. The reality of what had happened to me as a child hit and I hit rock bottom. And this is when I tried to, this is one of the other times that I tried to leave the brethren because I just didn't want to be around these people anymore. It was too triggering. I just wanted to leave and be out there. And the, the couple that were going to pick me up left me a voicemail. And I was surrounded by people because they knew what was going on. And I listened to the voicemail. My flipping phone went on loudspeaker. Yes. Hello, it's blah, blah, blah. We're, we're X minutes away. And that was it. I was taken out the house and I was gone and I didn't escape and some men from Gloucester came to pick me up and that's how I went down there and I was taken to live with my mum's auntie so my great auntie she was a cute little thing really kind but the family drama was way too much for her The investigation was ongoing then, but the perpetrator hadn't been arrested at that stage. He turned up at the house 
to drop my granny off to support my great auntie, which would have been my granny's sister. And he came up to the bedroom whilst, I can't believe his audacity, but he came up to the bedroom whilst I was on the phone to my at-the-time boyfriend, like I nearly died, and so did he. So we knew what was going on in the background. And, yeah, no, still no one picked up any of my fear, any of my reaction to seeing him, that no one picked up anything. My mum also took us out to a place called Clevedon with him and my other two aunties. And then I told my mum and then he was arrested. And I will never forget that night that he was arrested because my mum did this like, I went in there, it was probably about half ten at night. And after the police phoned me to tell me, and she let out this horrendous scream, like, I will never forget it. It's traumatising. And I was so scared that I called an ambulance. My great auntie was in bed, obviously, it was half ten. And I was just left with this, like, I not not sorry abs that this has happened to you come here let me hug you this is a really hard moment let's be Mm. together in this it was no it was her off crying like I I still love mum but you know the truth has got to come out she was in bed crying hysterically so I called an ambulance because I was like mate what do I do (laughs) this is not safe I don't know what's going to happen next and the ambulance ended up taking me away from my own safety like I don't think mum would have hurt me or anything but my mental safety I didn't need to be hearing that like it was all becoming very I think reality had hit her in the face that yes it was true and yes it really did happen mum then moved out after I wrote a letter to her explaining that I didn't feel that she was being a support to me and that really broke her heart. It broke mine too. Um, because I knew she was stuck in between caring for my brother down south, who's living with my dad, and she had me up here. But she wouldn't talk to me about the abuse. She wouldn't talk to me about the investigation. And I just needed support from her. And I didn't get it. So I was like, you might as well go. Um so she threw her clothes down she went. Um, my mental health deteriorated even further, believe it or not. And I was diagnosed with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, for those that don't know the medical term. Um, I was mentally screwed, couldn't work. I was on benefits. The brethren were pretty much no support to me. I slept 16 hours a day. And my great aunt was struggling with like the whole situation. Yeah. As you would expect her to. Yeah. Mm. No, I can completely see why. She'd led such a sheltered life. And then all of a sudden she was plonked with this drama. She couldn't cope. And, and so and I was, was moved. She, was your great aunt married with children or was she on her own? So she was probably about. Uh, 70 when I was there so she right. she was married her husband had died 
So she was on her own with her grown-up children. Yeah, the grown-up children obviously moved out. Yeah, okay. Married, grandchildren, etc. Yes. So I moved to another person's house and I split up with my at-the-time boyfriend and I don't really know what happened there, but my that someone called my dad to come and threaten me because, again, it was very clear that I didn't want to be in the Brethren. So someone called my dad, who had left the Brethren, to come and threaten me about staying in the Brethren. And obviously that completely terrifies me because of what I'd been through with my dad in those years prior. And they knew that, and that's why they did it. Um, That was really horrible, really horrible. I hid in the bathroom and cried for hours, and they were like... Coming out, Abs, you coming out? I was like, no, go away. You did this to me. Just let me be. And so no place was ever safe for me in the whole of my childhood, even up until after I'd left home. Still, I wasn't safe. Mm. The in the investigation was well underway. It was really intensive. Mum then made the decision to leave my dad. And leave my brother down there, which would have been really hard for her. And she moved back to Gloucester to live with me, where we moved into a chart house, which a chart house is a resident-owned property, which is used for people with no money or charity cases, basically, is what they'd call them. Very kind. And it was really hard living with my mum there because I'd been exposed to my family again. And whilst I was there, my maternal grandparents visited. And I remember one occasion, they tooted the horn and mum went out to the car. And I was like, hey, where are you going? And she's like, no, get inside, get inside. And that's how they knew. I knew that they'd obviously come to speak about the court case and to try and, I don't know what their aim was, but, you know, it was, they were there to speak about that. And my granny came in at, at one point and she she sat me down on the sofa and she said, you do realise you had your part in this, don't you? She said, everyone knows that. Oh, um, yeah. What do you say to that? And that just sums up the mentality. It, it, of the whole of the brethren, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And that's how sad it is because, yeah. you know, I... I class myself now as a survivor, but I was a victim of mm-hmm. that. Mm. That was my part. I was a victim. Mm. But also you were a child, Abby, at the time. Yeah. You were tiny. a child. I mean, I same as Cheryl was. My... And it's, it, yeah. it, you were a child. You, yeah. <laughs> it's so ingrained. They know just... when they're grooming you. They, they really yeah, they ingrain know. that into you yeah. in the pleasure the body receives from things that they do. Right. I mean, I know of, um, of sexual abuse survivors who won't come forward because they're like, well, (laughs) they, their body reacted a certain way. And I'm like, but that's still abuse. Like as long as you are under the age, that's abuse. I don't care how old the person is or what they're doing to you. That is abuse. No matter how your body responds to it, that is a physiological response that the body has. Yeah. That's how God designs us. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. We're given those body parts. Yeah. Mm. But as an adult for it to be pleasurable. Yeah. 
But as an adult, um, you make a conscious choice. Exactly. Well, most and, of the time, I know the there are that, cases where adults yeah. don't. But as a child, you don't even have the knowledge to make that choice, do you? And when just, those body parts get turned on that young, you yeah. know no different. You don't no, know any different. Yeah. Yeah, it completely rewires your brain. Yeah. Because I thought that was my worth. Yeah. That's all yeah. I was. Yeah, because I was so neglected in every other area of my life with by my parents, by, by my, I was bullied at school. So yeah. you've got home, school, play. I didn't ever play because what was the point in playing? Mm. But every area of my life, there was neglect. And then there was this like, to me as a child, it was like, this is my treat. This is my yeah. thing that feels good. But- at the end of the day, it, it is a form of attention. I'm, I'm not condoning yeah. it and saying that. But it when you've got all the other areas of life where nobody is paying you any attention, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah, it's sick, but it's true. It's still, yeah, it's still from and a child's perspective. And it's the way that they groom you, right? They yeah. groom you into um, receiving it in that energy, right? It's not, it's, it's not... Like when someone comes up and hits you, you know that that's wrong. They don't groom you like that, right? You're yeah. being groomed as knowing that you are a partaker in it. Yeah, but he sure made an effort to hurt me when he was around other people so that yes. it made it look like he hated me. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was his pain in the ass, like, yeah. just leave me alone, go away. And I was like, hang on. Mm. What was that five minutes ago then? Mm. It was so confusing and it was this yeah. horrible cycle of abuse that, yeah, didn't seem to stop. Anyhow, I was doing, I couldn't work at this point. I was doing gardening for the brethren and neighbour as and when I could. Then I got back in contact with Bruce. Oh, by the way, I met Bruce, my husband, that is, this is my Bruce. Um <laughs> I met him when I was living in Leamington. So he was from Coventry, which is the Leamington Interchange. So I got back in contact with Bruce and things started looking up. You know, I felt positive. There was something to look forward to. And everyone is against the relationship. Even my mum was like, joking. Like, no, I'm not joking, actually. That's my, that's my choice. Don't say that. Thank you. Mm. that's when I started working you know it's still only a few hours a day but that's what I could manage and people bullied me for that in the brethren you know I was ridiculed at dining tables in brethren breaks and snidey comments were passed here and there amongst the young people they just didn't want to understand what was actually going on um then after writing a letter to Bruce Howes about us getting married, to everyone's shock, he gave it the okay and gave it, you know, the good old grubber stamp in January 2017. And that's when we were officially engaged. And everyone was like, yes, we would love you to get married. This is just fantastic. <laughs> All the months <laughs> from before, having told you like, the yeah. relationship. Yeah. 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 Now he's got, you know, this rubber stamp. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm so pleased for you. And I've got all these engagement cards and it's like, oh, my, this is so confusing. But anyway, at least I was going to marry the man that I chose. Mm. Um, mm. And then obviously the brethren twigged that Bruce would be the access to 
my heart. So Bruce was called by two, again, prominent brethren men. And he was asked to attend a meeting in Birmingham New Street Station. So I knew what this would be about instantly, like not sick. So I, it would be about the court case. So I jumped straight in the car and headed up to meet Bruce. And his boss obviously had to accompany us in case we did something on the way or whatever. And I'm glad he came, though, because he witnessed what the hell that was all about. We all, on the way home, we got in the car and we were like, what's that actually all about? It was all wishy-washy. They couldn't get to the point. We couldn't grasp the point of what the conversation was at all. They were like, you realise the court case is going to be helpful, don't you? You realise that you're going to be cross-examined, don't you? I was like, yeah. Why would I be doing this if I didn't know that? I, I, I was fully aware of what was going to happen. And I was, I was prepared to stand up in court and face my abuser and say, no, you don't get away with this. And that was a shock to them, <laughs> like, which is bizarre because I always stand up for what I think is right. And we left and we discussed it with Bruce's ex-boss and we decided to call one of the guys who had supported my, supported my family for years. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the, like he was, he was high up in the addict world of Brethren and they set up, you know, Brethren AA, um, which was later called a fellowship within a fellowship and it all crashed. Anyway, I diverse. We find him up and we said, and I recorded it. And I said, what was that actually all about? Like, you know me, we're completely lost here. What is, what is going on? And as clear as day, he said, basically, the brethren are offering you £50,000 to drop the court case. And we were like, okay, thanks, Steve, bye. <laughs> yeah. So we got what we wanted out of him. So, yeah, we said bye and we left it until after we were married, I think. So April 2017, we got married. Mm. And because we were together with no supervision then. So it must have been after we were married. And we rang the other bloke who was there and we said, bloke, I'm going to call them bloke X and bloke Y. So bloke Y is the person we spoke to and got the recording of. Bloke X is the man that we rang. So we said bloke Y has said that we're, that the brethren are offering £50,000 to drop the court case. So he was like, mm, no, don't think so. No, never heard of that. No, where have you got that from? So he said, bloke Y, I'm going to get the X's and Y's muddled. Yeah, bloke Y said this to us. And he said, oh, really? Let's get him on the phone. So they merged the calls together and we played the recording. <laughs> <laughs> and um bloke 
why went flipping mental at me after all I've done for you, Abby. I'm disgusted in you. How dare you record me without permission? And Bloke X was like, I think you better finish. And the line just cut. And these were two men who were Bruce Hale's minions. Like they ran around his circle. Very high up. Yeah. Yeah. Very high up mm. in the UK. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. And they both blatantly denied that they'd ever, that, that had ever been said and that it was ever a thing. So these denies, even in the high up circles, are just, and I'm so glad I recorded it. Like I knew I could get in trouble for it because I didn't have his permission but as but, if I was going to get his permission he wasn't going to say that if I was if yeah. I told him I was going to record it and it was that proof that I needed that this system yeah. is buggered completely mm-hmm. buggered mm-hmm. there's lies everywhere wherever you look they're lying so and it's okay to record it's very important to record it is is it okay so it's not a law breaking thing because they were like it's no, not abby no. again the, the legal no. side of that it's not illegal to record a conversation but what you wouldn't be able to do is submit a recorded conversation as evidence if it's not being consented to recording that's how it works but it's, there's nothing illegal doing it for your own protection i would say which right. it was in this case because they'd have denied yeah. it otherwise wouldn't they they'd have denied oh, it and then you say it's like- my word against theirs but they did um, both deny it. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. It was like, no, I've never said that. And yeah. then we kept recording. So, yeah. Mm. So it's for your protection. And it's also sometimes, I think, important to do it. I mean, I know you agree with this, Cheryl, but if you're having a priestly visit, if there's two people against one, it, it's for your did they really say that? Can I remember what they said? It's It's your protection. But what you can't do is sort of use it as evidence for anything because they didn't consent to it and in different countries have different laws like i know maybe different in canada (laughs) it is different in canada um but even with i mean a lot of people are going to be familiar with heidi mccanley's story so Mm. most of her priestly visits they knew that they were recording they knew that was set up right at the beginning that these are being recorded um and you can then you can use it that is your right like that is your right but it's also your right to secretly record it for your own um, personal backup on what actually happened in a priestly yeah. visit because you get so confused and there's such mind games after that happens. There is. Yeah. 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 So I was married at this time and this was really the first time in my whole life. So I was 20 when I got married that I sort of had the chance to breathe and be me. Mm-hmm. And there was no, expectations put on me by my husband and people kind of left me alone because I was a newlywed so it's the first first time I could get get away from the pressure not for long but yeah a little bit I got away from everything that was controlling um and I fell into a sort of reeling for everything from everything that had happened over, you know, the, the 20 years of my life. I didn't have time to mope because um, I fell pregnant in February 2018. Just go, I'm just going to jump through dates now. Um, mm. The court case 
against my perpetrator or against not my the perpetrator was in June 2018. That was a horrendous day. Um, but it was an interesting day because I got to see exactly how brethren manipulate court cases. Mm. So the perpetrator had a Queen's coroner lawyer. Now, these are between 120 to 150,000 pound fees for a court case. And this QC really worked. Like court cases were delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. So it wasn't just like he just attended court because there's a lot of background work going on. Like the perpetrator got, I think, diagnoses of all kinds of things. He was completely normal. Say that like that because it's clearly not normal. But when I was being abused, he led a uh, normal life. You know, he's working, he owned a house, he had a car, he could drive, blah, 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 he could go shopping. You know, he lived a, a normal lifestyle. So he wasn't all these things that someone had paid for him to have a medical diagnosis thing you know stuff that went on just blows your mind just to get him out of the trouble that he was so clearly in and the I think that someone I've got I haven't got any confirmation of it but the, the all the police officers that had been dealing with it came out of that court case saying justice was not served today mm-hmm. and my lead investigator was you know nearly in tears because he'd put so much into it and something somewhere had happened I don't know if someone received a payout I don't know if the judge was corrupt I I I don't know what it was but you know all of them said that justice wasn't served that day and you know, he had 30 years worth of sentences and that was reduced to four, um, of which he had to serve two in jail and two on parole. I think parole's the right word, yeah, parole. Mm. Like yeah. where you're in the community, mm. but you still have to go. You have board. to report in and you have curfews and you, you're, you're monitored, aren't you? Yeah, That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, and he pled not guilty to the worst crimes, which for me was just such a kick in the gut because those were the those were the things that affected me the most and hurt me the most and that was really painful um I could have very easily at that point fallen into a deep depression but I was pregnant I didn't have time for that you know I'm still a Christian I think that brethren in Coventry would think otherwise because I'm such an evil wicked person apparently but because I was pregnant I had to keep going I had a baby that wasn't just going to press pause the baby was going to come in a few months I had to keep going and you know God's timing is incredible because I didn't have time to stop and get depressed about it 
Um, and in October, our first beautiful baby was born. And stupidly, <laughs> we launched our business two weeks afterwards. So that was dumb timing, but, you know, we lived. And setting up our business wasn't something that the brethren were happy with. We were labelled as independent thinkers. We were labelled as not towing the line. Um, you know, our business wasn't involved with all the UBT saga. We were completely separate and we wanted it that way. And God's plan, again, we didn't set up that business then. Then we wouldn't have ever been able to leave mm. because this is one of the reasons why so many brethren that want to leave now Can't. are stuck oh, yeah. because their employment, they're put on such high wages, which I believe is part of the manipulation and part of the control. They're put on such high wages and they learn to live a lifestyle that they know that they'll never get outside of the brethren because they haven't been to university. They haven't got the qualifications to have those highly paid jobs. I mean, what are sales guys on? non-brethren what 30 35 most mm. you know mm. I know some people in there that were on 120,000 pounds for just a regular sales guy now they were good at their job but 120,000 pounds like Boris Johnson is on similar to that a year <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're never gonna yeah. match that out no. here and that's why so many people are yeah. stuck in there today stuck. but we were so like God kept his hand over us and both my husband and I believe that that we set that business up so that we had the freedom to leave a couple of years later um so the next big event was COVID in 2020 and this was an eye-opener to many brethren including us we had a taste of freedom we had a taste away from your time being controlled. There was not a meeting every evening to go to. There wasn't four meetings on a Sunday to go to. Um, that lasted for about, what, two weeks and they introduced Zoom. So that <laughs> kiboshed it. <laughs> um, but, you know, these people think pretty damn quick. Um, and obviously they, they introduced recordings straight away. And, you know, I, at that point, was still, I was at a point where I believed in the system. I was fully engrossed in the system. And, you know, I'd be there with my notepads, like, wow, we've got recordings. This is incredible. And I'd write notes. And mm. ugh, looking back, I just laugh. But, um, you know, I was fully committed to this thing. And... When they started asserting less control, everyone, it was such a sigh of relief. Yeah, as I say, Zoom came in and that's when our next problem started. So mm. if the rule isn't biblical and scriptural, I don't want to know. Yeah. And Zoom came in and the woman has to sit behind the man. There, you have to be in full attire full like meeting attire head to toe <laughs> so so that would include just to clarify for non-brethren from the woman's point of view it would include putting your heads in your own home 
putting yeah. a headscarf on as if you were dressing up to go to the meeting or to church. Yeah, smart, but then smart clothes. Smart, smart clothes, you know, your heels, whatever. Um, yeah. Tight. And hymn book in your handbag and then walk down yeah. to your lounge and sit behind your husband. Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Which yes. is... And yeah. try and occupy children when you're at home. In their own home. It was absolutely impossible. And yeah. a lot of people found it impossible. It wasn't yeah. just us. A lot of people really struggled. Obviously, you had your cabbage kids that would just sit there and not move yeah. because they'd had it shook into them that you don't move when we're in the meeting. Um, and we obviously didn't abide to those rules. So I'd sit by my husband. Mm. We would eat and drink because, like, on Sundays, the meeting was half past 12 that's our lunch time mm. sorry we're mm. gonna eat and drink <laughs> yeah um and what was the other thing oh yeah Bruce started growing stubble now he's always fancied, fancied himself with a bit of a beard he's got and he looks beautiful with a beard and he's got a full beard now but you know the stubble started growing and we got absolutely pulled over the coals for these stupid rules so one of the brethren rules is men must be clean shaven isn't that right Gillian Ross who and yeah yeah, yeah, the stubble is a big no-no beards are an absolute no-no yeah but look at FER yes exactly (laughs) brethren leaders of the past yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's like how does this even make sense all of a sudden beards beards um beards are construed to yeah. show that a man is evil like no get out <laughs> yeah um and all this pressure on us led to us leaving in well Bruce left before me he was done I kept like hanging on because I was terrified of leaving I was really scared because they 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 make you think that you are destined to fail yeah Yeah. i was told that i would go to the lowest of the low if i left the brethren Mm. so far i'm you know so good um Mm. (laughs) and yeah so june 2022 bruce left and shortly after I kept on going to suppers because I really, I really enjoyed suppers and I still miss the suppers. Um, I, and I was just treated like mud at those suppers because we weren't towing the line. And I was like, I'm done. I came home from every supper in tears and I was like, I, I can't do it anymore. So we left and September, 2022, we were shut up. For no reason, there was no scriptural reason given for us leaving, both in the meeting to shut us up and to withdraw from us. There was no scriptural reason given. So it's obviously just because. What, what did they actually say to you when you were shut up then in September? Just you're confined? Nothing. 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 They rang Bruce and said, We need to confine you. And that was it. And Bruce was like, Okay, cool. Do what you want. Like I'm bothered. Like, yeah, yeah. At that stage, yeah, we yeah. were like, Thanks we've moved on with our lives. Yeah, exactly. No matter yeah. what label you put on us, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter to us. Um, so, yeah, we were like, okay, fine. 
being withdrawn from, however, was different. So mm. the priests knew that they were never going to get near us again. I told one priest exactly what I thought of him. And he knew that if he came to my house or to my business premises, he was going to get his head ripped off and I'd chip down his neck. So he knew that he would not come anywhere near. So they tried this tactic, which I think is quite a common brethren tactic to use. So they used Bruce's family. And mm. two of his brothers turned up at our business premises. Oh, hello, Bruce, you've come for a chat. So Bruce was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. Come in. <laughs> Stupid. Mm. They were like, are you coming back or not? And Bruce was like, no. And they, they, they went on this, like, tirade, oh, we respect your decision. No, you bloody don't. You're just trying to keep it all cool so that you can get the answers that you want so that you can withdraw from us. Anyway, that's inevitably what happened. So we were withdrawn from in February 23, which, again, made no difference to us. But it was just like, you know, that's, that's, that's it. Mm. And... Yeah, we cracked open a bottle of champagne because mm-hmm. the we were we were so relieved that you know there's there's no route back now. Mm. Um, so why did we leave? To protect our children from the life that we had experienced. Neither mm. me or my husband would ever want any of those experiences for our children. My husband will probably do a podcast at some point, but he was also bullied. And we would never want either, neither of us would ever want that for our children. Mm. Um, I wrote countless letters to Bruce Hales about sexual abuse and he never replied, of which I'm going to read you some parts of a let- my last letter to Bruce Hales, if that's okay with you guys. I would love it. We yeah. love yeah. to hear it, yeah. Yeah. Far away. Yeah. Now, if I get tearful, I'm going to turn my camera off because no one needs to see that shit. But it's a very emotional, hard letter to read. Um, so this was March 2022. And that's when I originally wrote the letter. And then I sent it to him. No, I didn't send it to him. I drove down, he was in the country in April 2022, and I drove down to the man where he was staying at and actually posted it through the letterbox so I knew they would get there. Hmm. That was like a three-hour journey there, three-hour journey back. Anyway, I, I presume it got to him. They would never tell me, but, you know, but you trust in them, don't you? Dear Mr. Hells, I'm writing to you as my last resort. I've tried and tried contacting you for many years now, and I feel that I'm at my wit's end. I wish to talk about to you about the pain I've suffered, how I feel, and about the sexual abuse I suffered at the hands of my mother's brother. I plead with you to be kind, as I feel I cannot carry on it as it is, so you are my last hope. I'm going to start with my childhood. I'm not sure how much you know about this topic other than what I wrote to you in Sydney. When I was in Sydney, I was not able to talk about the abuse. I was petrified as I had been told by the perpetrator that it'd be 
on my head if I ever uttered a word about the abuse. I remember you asked me if there was anything else I wanted to tell you. Yes, I couldn't tell you, Mr. Hells, and I regret that to this very day. But I was groomed as a t- child to never tell. I've tried to contact you hundreds of times since. I have five draft letters still sat here that I was ready to send, but then was told it'd be too much of a burden on you. I don't want to be a burden on you, so I never sent them. I have been told to go through the communications channel for a subject like this, but I don't want something like this. But for a subject like this, I don't want something to go through a communications channel. I don't trust the hierarchy system in this country and I'm not prepared to send something to be judged by two men to see whether I deserve to talk to you or not. I don't have any faith in the people at the top of the Brethren in the UK that seem to somewhat run the show so no way would I send something that is going to be dealt with in a business-like manner with no room for feelings. I've been told many times that you don't want to speak to me or won't see me. This has been so hurtful to me as when I was in Sydney, you told me that you would be a father to me. But if I can't talk to you, how can that be so? I've prayed for years to be able to talk to you, and 2015 was the last time I did. I don't know how much you're aware of sexual abuse. I know there is a lot of, <laughs> this makes me laugh now, attacks on the brethren currently about it. However, I don't hold brethren responsible for any of it. I have been told very hurtful things by brethren, such as get over it, move on from it, it's in the past. And why are you so upset about it? And you had your part in it. We walked through the court proceedings against him in 2018 completely alone, with little to no support from local brethren. However, I feel that you took me out of the UK at a time when if the abuse would have carried on any longer, terrible, terrible things would have happened. Somehow, I'm still alive. Suicide has been an option. I'd written a letter for those who I'd have left behind. The abuse manifested disgusting, impure behaviour patterns in my life, which in turn nearly ruined my marriage at one point. I take full responsibility for these patterns, but before February this year, I didn't know they were patterns. I will explain. My parents were not there for me as a child. My mum did her best and we can only do our best. However, I was severely neglected as a child. The perpetrator swooped in, seeing I was so vulnerable from what was going on with my father and mother and groomed me, manipulated me, showered me with love and affection, And I truly believed it was love, support, nurturing, safety, connection, sharing and intimacy. He often told me of how he was going to take me away from the hellish circumstances of my parents. He told me that he would marry me and he often discussed how he would do that and get away with it. And then there was a sexual molestation day in, day out, at work, at home, at school, at play. It never went away. However, it was only ever on his own terms when he wanted it. As a small child, I knew no better. I was 7 to 15 when it happened and I knew no different. Reality for me was I was a complete failure to my parents, my family and God. But at least this uncle cared 
or so I thought. This led me to developing a very, very unhealthy obsession of the perpetrator. I was told if I ever told anyone about it, it would all be on my head. Hence those letters I wrote to you whilst in Sydney barely touched on the subject because of the fear instilled in me. My life was dictated by the sexual behaviour and grooming until the day I caught that flight to Sydney. You will recall I was somewhat obsessed with boys at school in Sydney. Every adult thought I must not be in the clear because it's not something the other girls were like. A little understanding would have gone a very long way. I didn't realise what I had got gone through was abuse until two weeks before my 18th birthday in a counselling session. All I knew is that it was to be kept a strict secret between the perpetrator and I and that it was our little secret. When it was explained to me by a counsellor, my whole world dropped around my head. In Sydney, I was bullied, hated by the children. They could see something was wrong slash up with me. I was a victim to this horrific bullying in both Sydney schools, Sydney school and UK schools. I didn't expect it from Sydney school. There was also an incident of sexual molestation at Sydney school. I did speak to a brother in Sydney on that and I hope the individual has been dealt with. I looked for attention from those around me from 15 to 20. I got engaged and married to my beautiful husband who has been a rock to me. I thought my life might get easier. Bruce is the most kind-hearted, understanding, gentle man. How in the world I ended up with someone so incredible can only be God's work. However, I was in complete shock. I only had had the... I had only had the relationship with the abuser, if you want to call it a relationship, that is, before I got married. I expected exactly the same relationship with Bruce as I did the perpetrator. Highly sexual, fuel, no, lust fueled, secrecy fueled, fantasy fueled, attention fueled. And I soon discovered it was the complete opposite. He truly loved me. Then I went into a deep depression as I didn't feel loved, I didn't feel secure, and I didn't feel wanted. It was the polar opposite of what I expected. Poor Bruce was left with this bawling, depressed, suicidal mess of a wife. He brought me a therapy dog to try and help me. Brethren hated that and we had to get rid of it. Then the court case came along and we walked through that alone. The investigation was wretched, fast-paced and hardcore and it was truly difficult. I'd like to speak to you about bloke x and bloke y too <laughs> they called for this weird meeting at birmingham new street station to try and get me to drop the court case of fifty thousand pounds i wish to know if this guidance came from you because i really struggled to see you doing something like that now i did <laughs> especially in the current climate it was all so secret that they couldn't get to the point of why they were there the following day one of, oh, I forgot to say this earlier. The perpetrator's brother rang Bruce and asked us if we were happy with the offer of £50,000 to drop the case. So he rang bloke X and said, what is this all about? And he said clearly that the brethren are offering me a substantial sum of money to drop the case. Let me make this clear to you. I did not go through that court case for money. I went through the sheer hell of it to ensure that it would never happen to any other child that that man met. 
How £50,000 can replace what I went through, I will never know. It was all part of the grooming, though, wasn't it? Try and pay me to be quiet. I cannot see that that would have come from you. I didn't do it for revenge. And how £50,000 could cover such scars, hurt, pain, fear is ludicrous to me. I could have never lived with myself to walk away with that money as much as I needed every penny of it at that point. Money seems to be in the centre of a lot of people's lives. It's not mine. Yes, it's a necessary part of life, but you can't pay someone to be quiet and risk the offender reoffending and ruining other children's lives. February 2018, I fell pregnant. That was a blessing from God as I had something to look forward to other than not other than the court case because I wasn't looking forward to that, but, you know, which was in June 2018. The process took a massive toll on me and Bruce and probably unborn child too. I'm not going to mention his name. October 2018, our child was born. We launched our business two weeks after he was born. He or she was born. So that added to the sheer stress and I felt like a failure. I had committed Bruce to help Bruce run this business and I couldn't. So to put put it into context, we spoke to Bruce Hales about a matter that was affecting us over the phone. Um, Bruce was rather hurt from the conversation with you. He had admiration for you. We were ringing you about a matter we had prayed for months over and you told us to pray about it we already had we needed support not anger it broke bruce's heart we know you are under pressure but we needed kindness mr health and understanding so i'll just interject there the the phone calls so we rang we were told by a brother in sydney the number and what time to ring and um he answered the phone hello and we were like, hello, is that Mr. Hales? Like, we were shitting our pants. <laughs> and um, and he's like, yes, who's that? And we're like, Bruce and Abby, what do you want? Um, and we were like, we need to speak to you, Mr. Hales. We've been given your number and we've been told to speak to you because the matter to us is quite significant and serious. And he was like, you've woken me up. And we were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but that was such a shock to us because in the brethren, we were taught Bruce Hells doesn't sleep. Like, he <laughs> is a man of God. He doesn't need to sleep. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to sleep. He's sorting matters out <laughs> constantly. You know, he's keeping the testimony going. We didn't think he'd be asleep. It was after the Lord's Supper, his time. And you've been given the time to ring as well, haven't you? So Yeah. So we were like, yes, green light, let's go. Meanwhile, it's, mm. you know, half 11 our time. So he's like, woken me up. What time is it there? And we were like, half 11. Why aren't you getting ready for the supper? And we were like, um, because we've been waiting till half 11 to ring you. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. not going to be getting ready for suppers. Like, let's be yeah. real. Like, to put it into context for those that aren't connected to the brethren, it would be like ringing... The Pope, if you were Catholic. The Pope, or... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Donald Trump. Like, this is the kind of level that people put Bruce Hales on. Yeah. He's not on that level, but that's 
in the brethren eyes he is isn't he yeah. Yeah. i mean he's he called the man of god he's called the elect vessel yeah he's the kind he of say jump and they're known as royalty aren't they as well so yeah yeah and they're treated like that they've got security yeah. like why it's like you got security? a phone call with the queen yeah yeah, yeah the queen yeah, yeah. yeah. back to yeah. yeah. around let's listen to what she's got to say what he's got to say and yeah, yeah wow we were shocked yeah and it ended up, he was like, call me back later. So we called back later and he didn't answer. So the message was... blocked your number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we tried ringing it a couple of times since. It just, the line just goes dead. He's so, probably changed yeah. his phone now. He got a new burner phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. now I'm glad that I was so inconvenient to him. And I'm sorry that I woke him up. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. I told him in this letter that Bruce was really hurt by the way that he was spoken to. Mm. My Bruce, not yes. that Bruce. Yeah. Um, I had a suicide attempt, just to put this into context. I attempted suicide because at Sutton you said it's better to die than to sin. But I was, as I was trying to commit suicide, I remembered my little boy, so I simply couldn't. I'm desperate to speak to you about the abuse. I feel angry with God. About how did he let the abuse happen to me when I was being abused at home in other ways? I'm also petrified that because I became impure as a small child, God won't have me in heaven. I have spoken to the Lord about it and begged him for forgiveness and begged him that I will get to heaven. I don't have an answer. I do now, by the way. But then I don't have an answer if I will be going to heaven or hell, and I would love to know. I've been made to feel evil, mental, disgusting, filthy, impure, and an affront to God. And I don't want to go to hell. I love the Lord Jesus. I'm a very simple Christian, and I do have a lot of anger and trauma to try and deal with, and a lot of hurt. But I still love the Lord Jesus and know he is my saviour, yet I'm not enjoying my life. I've never been accepted into the brethren. I've always been a weirdo. I've always been strange and I've always been bullied. Is my place here? I'm hated. Local brethren hate me. Bruce is hated. The amount of hatred we get is horrific. It's been so detrimental to us and at times I've wanted to leave. Right now, Bruce wants to leave and that in one way is sad because he was born and bred here unlike me. Some would say that I have a chip on my shoulder. No, I don't. It's how I feel. Sometimes the way the UK runs, and now I just put in the brethren run, is completely unchristian. No one is perfect. But sometimes when brethren are so excited to see you, there are these self-righteous, bigoted men running around you and we can't even get close to you. We would love to just give you a hug and talk to you. Now I couldn't think of anything worse, but at that point I would have. Separation is sometimes very cruel and it's something I've struggled with when I think about what my paternal grandparents went through. It grieves me deeply. 
I struggle with Lord's Days. These are very intense. Lord's Days to non-brethren are brethren Sundays. Mm. I love the supper. We both struggled to cope with the sheer amount of entertaining that there was pre-COVID. I could never cope with it, so I didn't do it. Something else for local brethren to bully us about. I'm also fed up with people chuntering. <laughs> I'm also fed up with people chuntering their opinions on something that's not even in the Bible and their opinions of you. It makes me mad. We want to hear what you said, not someone's impression of you in yourself. <laughs> oh dear. But it shows you how brainwashed I was, okay? Lord's Day breaks are breeding grounds for gossips and criticism over here. So much sorry that we don't bother going anymore. Preference and prejudice is rife in Coventry. If you don't live by the Brethren tick box book, you're hated and despised. So many lies have been told about us. TV aerials have been reported to priests being put up on the side of our house. We don't even have a TV, let alone a TV aerial. I suppose I should wrap this up. We're struggling. I've tried to reach you out for years and this will be my last attempt. I was going to book a flight to Sydney and come to your house, but I didn't want to put any more pressure on you than there already is with the attacks that you're getting currently. I'm not one of them though. I'll bite him in the bum, won't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hope you will read this letter with love and understanding. It is my heart on paper and I'm scared that you'll be angry with me. I'm scared that if I don't speak to you, I will lose my faith in you. You said you'd be a father to me, but I can't even contact you. I can't change if you don't want to talk to me. I will live with that somehow. I'd just like to know why. I don't want to harm you. I never have. You saved me from the abuse carrying on any longer by bringing me to Sydney. That was a bit of presumption on my part. But anyway... No one, no one goes to Sydney without his permission, put it that way. I am mm. not sure why I was sent back to the UK. It was sheer hell at numerous of the places that I lived. You said you believed in me. You said there's gold in my heart and you blessed my marriage. So I'd love to know why you won't talk to me. You are my last hope and I can't carry on anymore. Please don't be angry. With love in Christ, my saviour. Happy. Wow. Now, that was the last letter I wrote to him. And I dropped it off at the house where he was staying. Now, you try and tell me that he didn't receive it, but I never got a reply to that. And I have shown this to priests in Coventry and they bawled their eyes out. They didn't know what to do about it because they're clueless, but Mm. they cried about it. Mm. Now, if you were, if I would, I would never want to be in Bruce Hells' position or anything remotely like it. But if I was a brethren elect vessel, I'd be straight on the phone. Where is this girl? I need to talk to her. She's in pain. No, nothing. Never heard back. Waste of paper, waste of ink, waste of time. Um, so, Abby, when you were in Australia in 2015, did you actually meet Bruce Hills? I met him a couple of times in the foyer, and in the I was invited. 
Yes, yeah. I was invited into his, oh, what do they call it? Let me think. Oh, it's like minister's suite, I suppose, off the side of Sydney meeting room. I was invited in there once. Now, I used to wear very short skirts, which I don't, I still don't have a problem with. I don't know what the fuss was made out of, mm. but Bruce Hales made an issue of it, like big time. And he humiliated me in front of this group of young brothers. That was my experience with me seeing Bruce Hales. Mm. Um, he said to me, like about this far away from my face, you don't need to wear short skirts, do you? And I was like, no, Miss Hales. Mm. <laughs> and, um, oh, it makes me quiver thinking about it. And then he turned mm. round. He said, right, you can go now. And that was it, basically. And he turned around to this big group of young men. And he said something like, look what a state that is. Look how short her skirt is. And he wouldn't let me walk out where everyone else walked out of. I had to walk out the fire exit the other end, like public disgrace. Can't be, she can't be seen like that. And he told me to go straight to the car. And just to recap, he, he, he acted like this, and yet he said he wanted to be a father to you. Yeah. But to me, my dad treated me like shit, so I was like, yeah, maybe this is what mm. dads are like. Now I know. <laughs> they are completely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, but I so yeah, I cried for days, and then he and then he gave the people that I was staying with a hundred, I think it was a hundred and twenty Australian dollars for me to buy more skirts. Like brethren, money wise, or brethren fashion wise, that would buy one skirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah, because they like the, the expensive so, stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 And especially in Sydney, like I must have looked a right mess compared to everyone else because I came from a poor background. My fashion was Primark mm. at the best. Um, we didn't have money to spend on, expen on expensive clothes. Mm. And then you go to mm -hmm. Sydney and everyone's in designer suits, like even the women, mm. and you're like, wow. The sort of bubble that it should burst for anyone inside the Brethren that ever listens to your story, Abby, is Bruce Hales is nothing special. It, it's smoke and mirrors, isn't it? The whole lot of Completely. it. Completely. When you get to know the real guy and people said to yeah. me, oh, you lived in Sydney, what a privilege to tell us about it. <laughs> And yeah. I had to like wrap my brains about the privilege bits. I was like, well, there's nice beaches. The weather was hot. We lived <laughs> in a nice house, you know. <laughs> like they wanted to hear stories about my interactions with, with, with Bruce Hales. And, you know, there wasn't yeah. really any. And, yeah. and when you were like, in Sydney, did he particularly go to the meetings? Was he there every night? No. 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 So it's so, not when you were there in 2015, he didn't go to the meetings. So no, the brethren had I, to go to I the meetings. He still does now. No. In the week, he doesn't, he doesn't, he rarely goes out. Mm. Um, if it's a burial or a marriage, mind you, marriages have changed now because they're just in the foyer. Um, but if it was a burial or marriages, he might have turned up. But, you know, and if he was there on a Wednesday night, everyone would have got a message before Bruce Held is coming out.
<laughs> the boys are back in town. Yeah, what? For the listeners that are non brethren. Yeah. So when we talk about Bruce Hales being the elect vessel, the man of God, that is yeah. that is like a pastor of a of a of a church. Only he's like considered the pastor mm. of all of the churches worldwide. He's the head yeah, of he's it. He's a lot more than a pastor. So he we, very much so. I'm trying to find a relation that they can. Yeah. They can sorry. So this I man. I think the Pope. Yeah. This oh. man doesn't go to church. He doesn't go to church <laughs> no. to preach to his followers, right? He stays home. So it's just this is mind-boggling. He's got so much work for the testimony to do. He hasn't got time for that. <laughs> this is the man who's morbidly obese, but yet instructs his followers on how to live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the work of the testimony includes it, drinking lots of whiskey. Yes, <laughs> yes, I think Blue label, blue label yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's my story, um, or most of it. There's bits that I'd have left out and, you know, there's a reason for that. I don't need to go into everything, but those are the really important bits. So, Abby, and, you've obviously left very recently as we all know yeah how do you feel now that you've got the freedom of not having to answer to that regime anymore it's not so, easy we all know it's, it's a not really easy. interesting question because you in the brethren are brainwashed to have this um guilt you carry guilt yeah and um sometimes I was talking to uh, another leader the other day and we were traveling in the car together and she was like do you think we're gonna crash because we're together like joking yeah and because you've left you still have that doctrine Mm. in you yeah left so you're gonna you're gonna either fail or die Mm. and you know those moments still come over you Mm. but other than that feeling is just there's no words for it don't get me wrong it can be hard my husband's lost his family like he got on with his family yeah they won't speak to him um so it's been really it's been harsher on him than it has me Mm. um but still he would never ever go back Mm -hmm. I asked him and he said that I'm not putting Mm. words in his mouth like Mm. the brethren would have thought that I would. Mm. Um, And so in the brethren, though, I didn't realise that that was still a thing. You will lose your family because they're like, everything's changed. There's been a review. You know, people aren't treated like that anymore because obviously there's brethren that watch podcasts. They watch the ex-exclusive brethren Facebook page. They watch Mm. and they're like, no, that wouldn't happen anymore we've changed mm. and um <laughs> i i believed them and it was a shock after we left that no that is the true reality you are complete you are dead so everyone you've ever known your best friends your family anyone in there you are you are categorically dead i mean i dropped my little one off at school and there's other brethren parents there 
I mean, one of them will say a lie. The other one's like, I, I, look, I'm, I'm not even there. Like, it's just so rude. Mm. So rude. And that was a shock. But everything else, we've been on four holidays. We mm. go camping. We are completely free. We have true, real friends that actually care about us. Yeah. Um, in the Brethren, it was based on how well you abide to the rules. So, for example, um, <laughs> so me and my husband are both petrol heads. We love our cars, okay? Mm. We always, Bruce always have, he always will, I always have, I always will. And it came up in a fellowship meeting um, under Bruce Hales that you wouldn't have a Porsche, BMW or a Mercedes. And that was the meeting that we were at. And we had one of those cars. I don't need to say which because I don't care. Like it's a car. It's something that I chose. It's something that I like. And <laughs> I got rid of the car that I had at that time and brought a better one of that same brand um, just to make it very clear that I didn't agree with the doctrine. Anyway, I got banned from my best friend's house who we were like bees in a pod. We were so close to each other and the husband messaged my husband and was like, she's never coming here again. Over a car. Over a car. Over a car. And, you know, I did so much for that woman. Um, I spent countless hours on her, helped with her kids, did her shopping while she was pregnant, and that was it, gone. Over a car, like, it's completely pathetic. We have real friends out here, ones that don't, it doesn't matter if your house isn't absolutely pristine and you could eat off They don't have time. the right serving tray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you didn't have the amount of dishes that most other people have on a law so dinner that type of thing. Yeah. You know, they love me for me. Mm. And they love Bruce for Bruce. Mm. And they love our family as our family. You know, every mm. family's got flaws. Every family's got pros and cons. And, you know, it's part of life. And they take us as we are. And that is a completely beautiful experience like and it's and it's um and it's made me and Bruce so much closer as a couple because before we had so much chaos that we were just being driven apart and they did try to drive us apart after we after we left um a comment was filtered back to me that one of our old one of our brethren friends said that they hope that Bruce will leave me and take our children back in back back into the present and that was a friend that was a friend um it's staggering isn't it yeah you know what Abby I think one of the biggest blessings you and your husband Bruce will have was being will be able to bring up your little child to do what they want to do without the rules within reason within reason reason, (laughs) yes within reason what I mean is within the I agree I agree within reason within the normal scope of a child's healthy life and that is one thing I left the brethren quite young and I've been very thankful and I'm sure you have too Cheryl and Gilly you have children too that you have been really thankful that they've been able to do just the normal things in life go to brownies go to dance class you know as they're growing up as children that were denied to us 
Yeah, and, and that's not one of the biggest blessings. Yeah. yeah, been able to eat lunch at school, been able to go on school trips, um, going to your schoolmate's birthday party. Um, exactly the education that they want. Yeah. They've yeah. got further education, yeah. what have you. Or the education yeah. they want, the education yeah. that suits them. It, it's a, a blessing that you, you'd never have in the Brethren because it's, well, we know the life of the children in the Brethren. <laughs> Yes. Well, on that note, I would like to speak about the sexual abuse in of children that is covered up in the Brethren. I witnessed it with my own eyes. My husband witnessed it with his own eyes. And this is one of the reasons why we left. Because the abuse was never ever reported to the police um and i will cover more of that shortly um but one one perpetrator was apparently overcome with grief because he said that he hadn't done it now these two children had said that they had been abused by this man and um and because this, this boy was crying, the priest put a piece of paper in front of him and they said, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't, have or haven't done it, write it down on this piece of paper and sign it. And he wrote that he, it, obviously he was fully aware of the consequences of what he, had, what he had done. And he wrote on the piece of paper that he hadn't done it and he signed it and that was enough for the priest not to take it to the police. So yeah. it's just, and, and, you know, the people that I speak to outside the brethren about that, they're like, you, you, you are joking, aren't you? I'm like, no. Mm. They, there is paedophiles everywhere in there, yet some of them are labelled as, oh, he's just good with children. No, 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 no. Like, I see all the signs. Like, I've got a paedophile monitor. Mm. <laughs> see it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. The other reasons we left, I've just got a few bullet points before I move on to um, a PowerPoint. Materialistic lifestyle pressure. We didn't need that in our lives. Non-biblical rules didn't need that in our lives. Wealth above everything, didn't need that in our lives. We didn't agree with the idolism. Idolism? Mm-hmm. Idolatry? Idolism? Yeah, whatever it is. Electric vessels. Okay, cool. Canvas is up in every home, a little shrine of the electric vessels. Mm. Um, you know, and it's incredible because you walk in and there's these campuses of the, of the great men and the, and then there's no campuses of the family. You're like, mm-hmm. it's cold, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. And that was actually one of the first things that a non-brethren friend said when they came into my house. Like, you've got a picture of them. Where's the picture of your family? Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. But... That's just the standard in there, mm. more or less. Obviously, there would be some that would have it, but, you know, mm. 
Mm. That is the picture that you must have. Mm. Um, so that's over against two scriptures. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time shall be when they will not bear sound teaching. According to their own lusts will heap up to themselves teachers. So my belief is that not saying Bruce Howes' biblical teaching isn't sound for the most of it. I mean, obviously, he's, he's, he uses some scriptures like the scripture on separation to, to get what he wants. Um, but, you know, he, he has fairly good understanding of scriptures as a whole, apart from when he starts twisting them. Mm. Um but his own lust, he he just wants to be wealthy. Like anyone that can't see that must be mm. blind. Mm. And I'll and I'll go on a bit on to why later. Um and Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. I don't think Bruce Hells is a prophet either, but anyway, they lead you to vanity, they speak a vision of their heart not out of the mouth of Jehovah. Now, one of the Brethren UBT initiatives is called Vision, mm. a vision initiative. So, you know, they lead you to vanity. They speak a vision of their heart, which is not out of the mouth of Jehovah. Pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, bullying in one schools, we'd never, ever want our child to go through that. And again, we've, fed up with being forced to toe the line when we didn't agree to the rules so that's my story I know it's like two hours long or whatever but you know it's a long story and there's a lot to cover I mean I have to say Abby I think it's an incredible story and you are incredibly brave to talk about it um, oh bless you so soon I think I I nothing but admiration I really do I was going to say the same thing as, yeah. uh, you know, so soon after leaving to tell a story like that takes great courage and with such calmness yeah. yeah well been a long time coming that I get to tell my story yeah um I've always been silenced in there so you can't silence me now <laughs> bring it on <laughs> yeah <laughs> not sure how well that go down but you know you know it's going it to help a lot of people in there it oh yeah, absolutely and mm. Children's faces that were abused are ingrained in my yeah. head. Yeah. I will yeah. never forget them. I pray yeah. for them every day. I pray that God will take the pain away yeah. of being having been abused in, in that and there'll be no justice. You know, mm. those faces will and they're the people I know about. Yeah. No, there's going to be hundreds of other little children in there who will have a similar story to me because they never got the um, justice that they deserved even at a young age. Mm. Um, So I think it's really important for those that are still in the brethren, you know, if you think you were abused, you probably were, you know, and the proof will be 
in, I'll read this out in a minute, but it's engraved in my head. Um, the proof will be in how you, how you feel when you try to recount those memories. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I would encourage anyone that's been abused, you know, LinkedIn is the peep Facebook. <laughs> um, mm. Contact me. I'll be here for you with no judgment, completely confidential. Um, I will put my Proton email address on there. So, you know, there's extra security on that. Um, I will be here for you. I will support you in, in any way that you need. I, only, I, I don't want to influence you on whether to leave the brother or not. It's your decision. Um, obviously, I have my judgment on them, which I will say. But, you know, you can take what you like and leave the rest with that. Um, but I, I'll be here for any survivors that, that want mm. to speak to me. Mm. Not a problem. Part two is another podcast and waiting below. If you are in a high-demand religious group and need help, please go to alloflief.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.